Good evening, Clarice. And welcome to Is It Really? The podcast that challenges popular opinions about movies. I'm Brandon Sharp. I'm Zach Smith-Michaels. And I'm Mitch Dupree. Sick. (laughs) (laughs) You're not getting 80s, Uh... 90s nostalgia today, beef. we're discussing the silence of the lambs and asking is hannibal the most iconic movie villain why don't you give us a little rundown of the movie before we get started fbi agent clarice starling is being brought in to investigate the serial killer known as buffalo bill he's bad news and quite the scare how are we going to figure out more about him we're going to have clarice interview the notorious hannibal lecter who is a brilliant doctor and also has a bit of an appetite. An appetite for what? Human flesh. Will she be able to get the answers from Hannibal? Will he cooperate? And will we find Buffalo Bill? Who knows? Why don't you work in radio? (laughs) That was so easy for you. I'm a good liar. Gosh, you are. (laughs) (laughs) Let's take a minute and discuss some other iconic movie villains real quick. You say villain. The first... The first dude who pops in my head is Darth Vader. Absolutely. He kind of has the full package. He's got some great lines of dialogue. He's got uh, just a very menacing demeanor about him. Well, he's James Earl Jones. Such an iconic voice. Right. And he's he's one of those guys, the first time you see him on screen, you know that like this guy's bad news. Mitch, who do you think of? Well, it's probably Lord Voldemort. For me, that's my that's my big bad. What when I think evil, I think theatrical. I think someone had a black cape. Mm. So he's swishing around, and he's he's just evil incarnate. I feel like. And he is like pure unredeemable evil. Like Darth Vader's mm-hmm. character arc is he's redeemed and like does a good thing at the end of the last movie, whereas Voldemort is just bad the whole way through. Yeah. Darth Vader, Darth Vader is like a Girl Scout compared to Voldemort. Let's be clear about that. <laughs> Darth Vader is Space Hitler, but Voldemort is Magic Hitler with a dash of Genghis Khan. I was going to say, let's not compare the badness of Hitlers, but... Can we think of other villains who are redeemable in the end? Because I think most of the ones we remember are, are bad the whole way through, right? The only other villain that comes to mind other than Darth Vader is Loki, right? And he's more of a new to the the cinematic right. universe, but he is absolutely a blast to watch on screen. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of, when I was thinking of villains, I was kind of dividing them up in two categories. Fun to watch. You kind of almost root for them. There's like a, a dark, lovable quality to them. And then Hannibal-esque villains who are very hard to watch, very unsettling, and... Just really make your skin crawl and evil incarnate. I liked what Mitch right. said, just like Lord Voldemort. What do we think of movies where like the villain is the lead character? You're rooting for the bad guy in a way, but he's not like you know munching on carrots and tap dancing. Like he's you know being manipulative and like conniving and stuff like that to get what he wants. But he's still the character that you root for. 
Oh, I'm with you there. When you bring up villains kind of in the lead role, I have an, I go straight to a few TV references. Walter White, Dexter. Yeah. Walter um, White's not a villain. He's a anti-hero. <laughs> he convinces himself for like many seasons he's doing it for his family. Sure, right? sure. That's hardly villainous. I'm thinking like of a character who engages in bad activities. I think you do see that on TV more is like the villain in in the lead or like people with villainous tendencies like the entire like it's going to sound silly but the entire cast of it's always sunny in Philadelphia. They're <laughs> they're all villains. Like they're all very bad people, but they're just so like I feel like with villains there's no rules in a weird way. If there's one set of characters who embody not being able to be redeemed. It is the cast of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> Hannibal Lecter, they, Danny DeVito, Frank Honestly, Reynolds. though, like, they are without humanity. <laughs> That's true. Um, Br- I think TV turns out some of the more interesting villains, though, or anti-heroes, because you have the time to flesh them out. Right. Two villains for me that um, just knocked my socks off. Um, you know, obviously Heath Ledger's Joker. Yes. And there's very little... When you think about it, like, that's 100% his performance. Well, when you're saying Heath Ledger's Joker, yeah. Right. Characters who have been portrayed by many different actors and, and many different medias, you know, whether it be live-action animated, uh, video game... TV series, like, you know, the Joker has been done and done and done, and there are very few versions of the Joker that I don't love. I feel like the each version creates its own character in a way. Sure, absolutely. Like, they all have this, you know, shared kind of, like, core, but, like, Heath Ledger's Joker is an anarchist, right? Like, mm. it's, it's a little bit more, um, almost political, whereas, you know, you've got the the theatrical Batman the Animated Series where it's it's gags and pies in the face and stuff like that. So they're, they are very different. No one brought up a Jared Leto's Joker. Hmm, that's, that's weird. <laughs> Rightly so. And then uh, the other villain, my favorite villain, the one who actually, um, the first time I saw him, I think I was like 16 and was just like dumbfounded, was uh, Christoph Waltz as Hans Landa. The dude speaks in like 20 different languages. He's so charming. The way he drinks that milk, though, just made me want to crawl under my chair. Yeah. I'd love to hear more about why you like him as a villain, because that's that's one of your favorite movies. I mean, this is going to sound silly, but to have a great um, villain, you need, you know, a great, like, hero. You know what I mean? And I think Brad Pitt in that movie... Like, he has such a dark side to him, like, where he's, like, scalping people, and, like, he has dudes beaten to death with baseball bats and all this stuff like that, where he's so brutal and, you know, just such a a harsh man, whereas it's, I like the role reversal almost, where, like, Hans Landa is very smooth and, like, he's very charming and charismatic until he's not, whereas Brad Pitt the whole way through is just, like, you know, we talked the other week about, um you know, a scalpel and a hammer. Whereas, you know, Brad Pitt is the hammer and Hans Land is the scalpel. They have someone to balance them, right? The Joker is interesting and fun to watch. 
he has the you know Batman to balance him out, right? Darth right. Vader, yeah. you've got Luke, you know, you know all the, Voldemort, you've got Harry, Scar, you've got Mufasa or Simba. Uh, whereas the ones that to me seem more unsettling and leave me feeling this existential dread are the ones who kind of go unopposed. Yeah, those Patrick Batemans, the the Norman Bates, Hannibal Lecter. The uh, uh, there's just this sense that they're there's no one who can stop them. They're just going to do what they want to do. Norman Bates is one that I was going to bring up. And unquestionably, Psycho is one of the premier horror movies of all time. It is it is absolutely one of my favorites. And I think it's the psychological element that really terrifies me. Which is why I would... So out of all of the other villains we've mentioned, I think Norman Bates is the most like Hannibal. That is, He is one that you can really put in that same category... A little hard to watch, a little unsettling, not a little, a lot unsettling, um, just very unnerving, terrifying, uh, makes your skin crawl. It's real horror in a way. Like when you think about like, you know, movies like uh, like Poltergeist, uh, Pennywise from It, um, kind of those monster movies, um, you know, those are all very like supernatural elements that are scary. Whereas, you know, your Norman Bates and your Hannibal Lecter's, they're all normal dudes who mm. like all of a sudden they do the most unspeakable thing imaginable. That could be a person, right? right? Like, or it's could some... be your next door neighbor. Exactly. Like that, that could happen, right? There could be a person who's living in your neighborhood who wants to kill you. Yeah. And you know, what jumps out, I think about the family and get out mm. about how a lot of it just seems like, Oh, you know, you don't know how to, speak to people and when you find out what's going on it is like one of the most sinister things i've seen in a horror movie yeah like it's just like gets incrementally more creepy right you're like uh, yeah and, uh. and then upon rewatch you see from the beginning you should have been you know ah! high alert right. yeah but that's a great uh, movie where they reveal the creepy stuff slowly enough where I'm like, I don't know if I'd leave. I don't know if I'd leave. Right. I don't know if I'd leave. And then once you're ready to leave, it's, oh, well, they got me. Yeah, one night he wakes up and there's like a dude running around. And you're like, okay, I'd probably go. Yeah. <laughs> I'd probably leave at that point. Listen, I have an interesting, interesting choice here. I'm going to throw it down see if you guys step in it. A movie that created just a... Um, just a complete experience for me was the movie Seven. Are you too familiar oh, with that movie? Yeah. John Doe, portrayed by real life, real life monster Kevin. Spacey. Portrayed by the late, the late Kevin Spacey. <gasps> I was like, are we gonna mention that he's an animal? <laughs> that he's an awful, awful human being? And Zach just jumps uh, right in. We have to. <laughs> oh, um, I can remember finishing the movie and sitting in silence for maybe 30 minutes afterwards, just not knowing what to do with myself. Going to bed, waking up the next morning and thinking that movie was incredible. Just loaded me down with this incredible baggage. And then, you know, kind of I saw the light after I had a few hours <laughs> to sleep on it. Right. I think that entire movie, though, is so effective in its bleakness, its tone. Like, it's not just spacey. I think we, we got really excited because that was kind of a, an introductory role for him. Mm -hmm. Like, Kit was still early in his career, and we're like, oh, he's really, really good. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes we heap too much, I think, onto that performance when Seven, if you just watch the movie, yeah. is the world is dark and debased. The setup and like, is you're just like, absolutely. 
Yeah, uh, just every element of that movie is just bleak. So you're like, okay, this is an awful, awful world. My favorite villain to quote and to talk about is Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin in the first Spider-Man. How have we been talking about anything <laughs> but Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin in the first Spider-Man? You know how much I sacrificed? Out <laughs> am I? <laughs> Why don't you get all the Willem Dafoe impressions out right now? Just get him, shoot him out. When he lays on the table um, and he's about to get, you know, the dose, and he's getting like he's getting the clasps are coming on it, and he, ooh, it's cold. I don't know why, but one night, some friends and I were watching that. We rewound that part maybe a hundred times, just just over and over and over. Ooh, that's cold. Well, for people of a certain age, I also want to say him in that scene when he becomes the goblin and goes, ah, that quick cut <sighs> was the scariest thing I'd ever seen. Last night I was, ah! Yeah, like scarier than the exorcist, yeah. scarier than my 10-year-old fear that the rapture had happened every time <laughs> my house was vaguely empty. Now that this movie is doing <laughs> whatever it wants and anything can happen, now I'm horrified. <laughs> Zephyr skin cream. And sometimes you wear lead at home. But not today. Did you do all these wrongs, Doctor? Ah. That is the Duomo scene from the Belvedere. You know, Florence? All that detail just from memory, sir? Memory, Agent Starling, is what I have instead of a view. Well, perhaps you'd care to lend us your view on this questionnaire, sir. Oh, no, 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 no. You were doing fine. You had been courteous and receptive to courtesy. You had established trust with the embarrassing truth about maids. And now this ham-handed segue into your questionnaire. It won't do. So first impressions when that scene comes on. Where, where where do you go? Where do you go immediately? He doesn't pick up his cues, and waiting for him to answer some of those questions feels like an eternity. They do a great job setting him up before you meet him. So by the time you meet him, you already know you're supposed to be scared. And of course, he's just looking dead into the camera, just with those eyes, telling the story of the of him biting the tongue off of the person yeah. and. And biting the jaw, and it needed like realignment, right? That previous attack, it was so gruesome. Right. It really made me afraid of whoever we were about to meet. I think you're expecting like for him to be like you know Mills in the other uh, cell, who's just like you know like running all around and like is just crazy. You're expecting that, and he's this kind of like mild mannered, like you know well pronounced gentleman almost. When we meet him, he's standing with his feet together, his arms at his side. Uh, I'll say it's almost like a ballerina. The way the way he holds his body, uh, I think, is really interesting. Good morning. Well, it's clear he's very he's a very refined individual, very formal, um, very intellectual. All these things come through uh, his choice of language, um, but there's like this undertone that Zach's right. It gives you the willies. And 
Clarice doesn't try to be the smartest person in the room. She she already knows that she is outmatched. Mm-hmm. So she comes in. Um, she's not going to try to lie to him. She knows that he's he'll be able to see right through her. She answers all of his questions honestly, even though they're embarrassing, mortifying, really. And I think that is actually what disarms Hannibal. He's probably confronted with just individual after individual who tries to outsmart him. Mm -hmm. Um, Or tries to use his intellect for their own efforts. You know, he's a means to an end for them. She comes in, shows him her hand. And um, that's really where this uh, relationship begins. I actually want to, um, a couple steps back, I love uh, Starling. First time we see her is FBI training, I'm guessing Quantico. Mm. And just a very male-driven um, mm. facility. Everything is, she's very petite. She's um, very dainty. Uh, she gets on the elevator with... Um, what is it, five or six men uh, twice as tall as her, and she's whistled at a couple times. Just the just the um, environment is very male-driven, and I think just th- that was all part of Crawford's plan. The administrator of the hospital says that to her explicitly. Oh, smart of uh, your boss yes. to send you, right? Yes. You're pretty, and yes. you're his type. Uh so she is being used by these men. The men in her life who are not Hannibal are in some ways a little bit more villainous. Even uh, Jack, her boss, like in the scene where he protects her by excluding her from the conversation. Yes, at the uh, morgue. At the morgue, right? He he protects her because it's sexual conversation. And then she's left alone in a room of leering uh, cops, right? Uh, by herself. She's not getting to do her work. And she's being sexualized again. Uh, it makes you uh, not like her boss, right? You're like, okay, he is not a good dude. Then he tries to uh, gloss over that later when they're in the car. Um, mm-hmm. It was it was a smokescreen or whatever he says, and she goes, "It matters. Cops look it at matters. you. They they know you're from the FBI. They look at you to see how to act. They they take their cues from you. Um, also, before we get too far away." Uh, you know who's a monster? Uh, Chilton. He's a monster. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Clearly underestimates Hannibal. Sees him as a trophy, and writes Starling off when when she comes in. Uh, yeah, calls him a monster, he a psychopath. Instantly sexualizes her. He, Absolutely he sizes predatory. her up. Predatory. Yeah. He wants to take her out. Yeah. Ultimately ends up hitting on her. And he craves power, too. The line I wrote down was, I'm not just some turnkey, mm-hmm. right? I I am powerful. I You should respect me. And I, and I think also, um, just about going back to Starling, I think she is underestimated every step of the way. She makes some very large breakthroughs in the movie, um, mm-hmm. and she is, she is underestimated by um, every one of her male superiors for lack of a better term except except Hannibal um, he is the only one that sees her value and uh, ultimately rewards her for that the incredibly vague clues he leaves for her he he respects her intelligence to know that she'll be able to find you know these anagrams and and that she's going to be able to find that uh, warehouse uh, 
that is an act of respect that that he knows she's going to be able to get where he uh, she needs to get. Maybe a bit of a test, see if she's worthy. I don't know. Yeah, at the beginning, maybe for sure. The first I one think, like, with at the, the, end, the storage though. unit. Mm-hmm. For sure. Just the first. Just the first one. Yeah. Sure. Um, but by the end, he he literally just gives her the locations on the map and and is like, "You have enough. You can do it." One of my favorite scenes with her showing her strength is when she commands the cops to leave the morgue. Uh, yeah. You know, her her superior hasn't done that. He's on the phone, uh, not doing what he's supposed to be doing. And she, with a trembling voice, uh, is able to make them leave. And they push at first. They don't move. And then she reasserts herself. And they leave. You can tell it's out of character for her. She really had to... She really had to dig deep for that. And I think that's why I think she is so strong. Uh, There's uh, a bravado kind of strength in a lot of these movies, especially particularly with female characters that I don't think is interesting or true or really strong, where it's like, I'm tough! Uh, But she she is... Clarice is not afraid to, like... She trembles. She's horrified at the morgue. She mm-hmm. is deeply disturbed, right? Uh, and she, she shows her emotions and her emotional um, reactions and, and depth. That's where her strength lies. So Hannibal is, is not a physically imposing character. What makes him truly terrifying? Why are we afraid of him? I think the fact that he seems at home. Yeah. Uh, like, like I, I took note of there. There's these red flashing lights, uh, a lot of beeping, a lot of clinical noises. So it feels uh, very sterile and and weird and and frightening. And then when you go into the cells, it, you're like uh, in Gehenna. Like it's just screaming and gnashing of teeth. People are are uh, animal like. And then we see that calm figure, right? right? And the fact that he is so unaffected by the world, this hell that he's in, uh, it seems to indicate there's something not right. And even when he's talking to uh, Clarice, like, later in the movie, and you see, like, oh, this guy is actually a great doctor. Like, he knows his stuff. Well, yeah, to speak to his prowess, I do love in that introductory scene, which we've still kind of only glossed over, uh, I love when he calls her a rube. He says, you know what you look like to me? You look like a rube. And then he kind of breaks down her, the things she's hiding, her accent, her uh, the way she's dressed, the, her purse, uh, thing, just things that uh, someone who's observant and who has a, an education and a high intellect would notice. Right. Or a serial killer. And he also, he really tries hard there to insult her. And you can tell she's she's shaken by it, like her voice is trembling but she doesn't let it break her down. Um, right. She kind of takes Not it in while stride. She's there. Right. But I do love when she leaves. She leaves, uh, yes. The, and her face is broken, and you see the junker car that she drove there, so you know he was right. Right. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that makes him most frightening to me, too, is the balance and the blend of his fearsome intellect and his carnal um very savagery. physical savagery that's right uh like when he sniffs they're almost playing with this idea right like is he almost superhuman or animalistic that he can smell her lotion and her creams that she was wearing on days that aren't today like yeah. does he have some powers uh that you know normal people wouldn't have 
so he is extremely physical and threatening in that way, and also he's incredibly intelligent. Right. Another thing, too, um, Brandon, you were asking why is he scary, and I do think it's the Jaws effect in that you don't see... I think there's a thing where they're saying Hannibal only has like 15 minutes of screen time or something like that, where he's not in the movie that much. And every time you see him, you know it's important. You know that something, you know, with a certain amount of uh, of narrative weight to it is going to be happening. Absolutely. Never wasted. It's everything we don't see right. that, that builds Hannibal up. And then when we do see him, we just kind of fall into that, oh... We yeah. are terrified. Yeah, it's kind of like when you're watching like a movie and it's like a scary movie and it'll slow down a little bit and you're just kind of like, all right, I'm ready for you to pick it back up. And then when it does, you're like, oh, 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 oh never mind. Well, let's pump the brakes. Or it's, it's. I do love that they go ahead and show him in that element. Like we don't just hear about it the whole time. He's he's transferred. He meets the senator. By the way, the, the meeting with the senator is a wonderful wonderful moment um and love your suit is love love your suit with those crazy eyes those crazy (laughs) eyes that he's just messing with her at that point he's just messing with her he is he's having fun he's dressed her down he has turned her inside out and now he's just going to put the cherry on top um so he's being held in like a a large room with a makeshift cage assembled (laughs) and this is this is the part when we see everything we've heard about, um, and you know and he's he, gonna when they're even when they're taking him out of the cell, you know like something's gonna go down. You're just like, uh-oh. well, as soon as he looked at the pen before he was transferred, <laughs> right. I wrote down, "Where's that pen going? Where, where's that pen going?" Yeah. I kept but waiting as, for it to pop back up. As the cops were storming up the stairs, I was thinking, "What are they afraid of?" Like, this is a man yeah. who use, his primary weapon is his teeth. Yeah, a senior citizen. Maybe Maybe the worst weapon in history, your teeth. Um, so I'm thinking, like, why? Like, I think why are evolution they... would argue with that, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying you, you can't shoot Compared it. Compared to a gun. You can't swing it. You can't. It's attached to your face. Like They have bulletproof they, vests on. They have vests and guns. So, like, why? What are they What are they afraid of? You know what? They're, they're afraid of just this madman who will tear someone's face off and wear it. To get out of the building, yeah, that's what they're afraid of. That he oh is, my gosh. he is his. The balance between you're right, you're right on the money, Mitch. The balance between brilliance, like genius level intellect, and savagery is like a high wire act, really, just to hair in either direction. One minute he's drawing um, Clarice Starling and these beautiful pictures. The next minute he is biting a guy's nose off. For you Enneagram nerds out there, let let me know. Do you think he's a four with a five wing? Because I think he is. I think he's a creative with a high intellect. And I say that because that's what I am. Oh, So me and Hannibal, oh, we're besties. Oh, it's a dangerous combination, the uh, the artistic and the and the thinker. That's a scary Mitch, combo. Mitch, we've talked about a lot of great people on this show. Like, we've compared ourselves to, like, Rocky and, and Bombay and... And Mitch, Jesus. and Mitch finally, <laughs> and Mitch finally has a comparison, and it's Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> I would 
be proud to be like Hannibal oh. Lecter until the murdering starts. Oh, Otherwise, he seems like a great guy. Yes. He's a good psychiatrist. He listens to classical music. He has good taste in lamb chops. All right, let's talk about some of the other reasons I think he's super memorable. Uh, him on that dolly thing, mm. strapped in the, the vest with the mask. Like, every mask. good villain's got to have their iconic thing, and his is the mask. That is That is the element that puts him on Darth Vader's level. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, the Jason mask. It's Everyone's sure. got to have something. The Joker makeup. Yes. The Voldemort lack of nose. <laughs> he has a, a terrifying name. Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Th- that guy, like, his, he was... His parents, like, did him in from the start. Like, this kid had no shot of not being a monster. I mean, there's something phonetically that works about that, though, right? Like, I mean, I know Hannibal is, is an illusion, at least, I think, to the great military leader. The barbarian. Uh, yeah, he was he was definitely a savage yeah. dude. Uh, but that lecture part makes it even better, because I love Hannibal Burris. I'm not afraid of him. Any thoughts on the relationship between Hannibal and Clarice? Um, I do love the moment it it begins, and that is when Hannibal feels as if he needs to defend her honor. Yeah. Um, it's more of a chivalrous um, yeah, it, action at that point. It's if not, chivalry can exist in a way that's not like weird and patriarchal, Hannibal Lecter has found right. it. This asylum is not her playing field. Yeah. There's nothing fair here. Mm-hmm. Like, she has no pull here at all. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point, too. Well, I I do think we have to talk at least a little bit that quid pro quo scene if we're talking about their relationship. Because mm-hmm. I'm really interested to hear you guys' thoughts on why do you think he is so interested in her backstory? What what uh, is he getting out of hearing her story why is he interested in her he needs something from her if if she needs he believes she needs skin in the game in order for this to work he makes her pay for each answer that he gives she has to pay the toll on to flesh yes mm. each and every time and if you notice she tries to rush him you know doctor we don't have time maybe it's not in that scene maybe it's it's a little further down the line she tries to rush him he slows things back down quid pro quo uh, that's not how this works. There is a great push and pull. Yeah, absolutely. But he is steady. He's consistent. He keeps things at his pace. He will not be, you know, that we're running out of time. He doesn't care. You know, he he has yeah. all the time in the world. And in that way, he always keeps the power in the scene, which is an interesting thing for people to learn. If you want to be more powerful in your workplace, read the book of Hannibal Lecter. I took note of... um before she finally makes the admission of the screaming lambs, mm-hmm. right? It's it's as if she uh, is pacing and uh, is terrified to make this admission to him and is willing to let the case almost go because she won't admit something so personal. She's She's hoping to be able to get the answer she wants from him before she has to get to that part in her story. Mm-hmm. And... Hannibal knows exactly where the end of her story is. He's already figured it out. I would be curious, did you guys pick up on all of the biblical uh, imagery and illusions in the movie? I mean, did you guys notice when uh, the cops burst into that room uh, where he strung up the 
the one yeah. guard that he looked like an angel through yeah. the glass. And then when they walked in, he actually looked more like a Christ figure, the way his arms were. With some other things split apart. More scary. Gosh, Brandon. It feels perverted yeah. in a way. Like you're like you're taking something sacred mm-hmm. and then you're yeah. twisting it just a little bit, uh, to make it horrific. Right. I just watched uh, 12 Years a Slave for the first time, and every time one of the slave owners talks about the Bible, I'm like, keep his name out of your mouth! Which is interesting, because like, I love The Exorcist, but I think that's just because I think The Exorcist is funny. Dr. Hannibal Lecter is truly one of the most barbaric figures to ever grace the silver screen. The question is, is he the most iconic? And uh, that question to me is more of a visual question. Hannibal is a very small character compared to uh, Darth Vader, as in the physical space that he takes up. Mm-hmm. A bit of a dainty fellow. Right. And um, Darth Vader, just big, just makes you want to cower and gets what he wants by force. He's a very forceful figure. Um, Hannibal does not use force. Even when he swings the baton at the cop, it's very artistic and choreographed type movement. Almost like he's conducting, but the, the two are not even in the same ballpark for me. Is Hannibal an insane, barbaric genius of a villain? Absolutely. Um, is he the most iconic? I would say no. Hannibal to me, is someone who feels unknowable. You can't understand him. He, there, he seems otherworldly and inhuman, so I would never be able to anticipate what he's going to do. What makes Hannibal the most frightening to me uh, is what strips him of his iconic status. It's that final scene where he walks into a crowd of people. Uh, And we're left as an audience with the question, do monsters like this walk among us? Are there people like this near me? That idea is genuinely disturbing and frightening. Um, But it also strips away some of Hannibal's potency as a a titular kind of iconic villain, right? It's not so much about uh, him as it is the the figure of a, a crazy person among us. Uh, that being said, Hannibal does possess certain skills that make him uh, memorable in his own right. Uh, he's uniquely savage, he's a great psychiatrist, uh, and those all make him interesting to watch. Uh, but it's less to me about uh, Hannibal Lecter the person as it is uh, kind of the figure of the Hannibal Lecter type of villain. I love a good villain. Captain Hook, Hans Landa, Jack Torrance. These are great villains, and I love to rewatch them. Hannibal is fantastic, and I've only been able to watch this movie twice. The first time I saw it and rewatching it for this podcast. Just because, in all honesty, he is real horror. Too horrible for me to behold. And I, I want to hear that great dialogue. I want to see those masterful performances, but I'm just too scared. He's one who has a more limited audience. So is he the most scary? Maybe. But most iconic, being that he's not a villain that you can pass on to other people as freely, I would say no.
that's going to do it for us. Thanks for joining us for our discussion on Hannibal Lecter and why he is a great villain. If you got a minute, why don't you head over and give us a like on the old Facebook page. We can be found at the Is It Really Podcast. And go ahead and give us your opinion. We want to know how you feel about our episodes and any weird movie opinions you may have. And don't forget, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're feeling good, why don't you give us a rating and review? We'd really appreciate it. We'll see you next time. Thank you.